The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. We're going to continue on in our series this morning, going through the, fir- uh, the first book, uh, or rather the book of 1 Timothy, and we're going to go to the fifth chapter today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the fifth chapter of the book of 1 Timothy, and I'll catch you up in case it's your first time here or if uh, maybe you've missed a few with uh, kind of what's going on in the book of First Timothy. The book of First Timothy is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. So Paul is in prison, and he's writing to this young pastor of this city named Ephesus, and his name is Timothy. And so Paul actually placed Timothy in this church in Ephesus, and it's doing well, but it's having its challenges. And so Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him, to give him some direction, to give him some instruction, to help him to grow as a leader, as well as to help the church function and thrive. And those things he wrote to Timothy are very much relevant for our day and age because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit when Paul wrote them to Timothy, and they very much have practical application for our lives and for our church as well. So we've been going systematically verse by verse through this text, and last week we went through the fourth chapter. And in the fourth chapter, Paul wrote to Timothy about clinging tightly to the truth and making sure that when the false teachers and the false doctrine would come and and try to pull people to the right or to the left or make them sway from the purity and simplicity of the gospel, that they would always hold on to what was right. They would always hold on to what was pure, and they would recognize something that was false, and they would recognize something that was trickery as such, and that they would hold to the truth of Christ being enough, and that they would hold tightly to the truth of the gospel. And one of the last things that we talked about last week in chapter 4 was where he said something that's pretty famous in the book of First Timothy was where he wrote to Timothy, don't let anyone despise you because you're youth. Now, I was a youth pastor for seven years, and I taught that scripture a lot to teenagers. And the following thing that he says after don't let anyone despise your youth was he said, but set an example for them in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. So he's telling young Timothy to not let people despise his leadership gift because he's a young guy, but instead set an example. He wasn't saying, hey, don't let anyone despise your youth, and then all of a sudden that gave Timothy permission to be arrogant. No, it was quite the contrary. He said, don't let anyone despise your youth, but yet set an example. And here's the things you need to make sure you're checking your heart in and setting an example in. And as we look at that in context... We see 1 Timothy chapter 4 was dealing with warnings against false teachers. So apparently, what we can gather is that there were people who were believing in this false teaching that were older than Timothy that were saying, well, we've always done things this way in the tradition I was a part of, in the Jewish tradition, or someone saying, no, why don't we go over here and do things this way? Someone may be coming from a Greek background, and they were older than Timothy. And Timothy was saying, no, that that, that makes us distracted from the main thing. It, It keeps the main thing from not being the main thing if we stay over here. And they were saying, you don't know anything because you're young. And because you don't know anything, you should listen to us. And so the Apostle Paul was saying, no, 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 don't let them despise you because you're youth. Make sure you set an example. Now, remember that this was a letter written to Timothy. The chapter and verse divisions were added later for our benefit so we could use it as a reference point. When Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he didn't write chapter 5, verse 1. That's in there for us to be able to actually reference these 
passages. So I believe that at the end of what we call chapter 4, that actually uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, still continue that same thought of Paul addressing this issue of how to deal with these older people who were actually trying to detract and distract from the purity of the gospel because of the very next thing that Paul writes to Timothy. So with that in mind, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and let's look at verse 1. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. I believe that in context with what was just said in chapter 4, he's talking about the way that you deal with people whom you disagree with. Because he was talking to him in chapter 4 about the people who are trying to distract or detract from the gospel, and they may be older than you, and they may have more life experience than you, but yet you have to cling tightly to the truth rather than just follow silly myths or follow traditions in the way we've always done things, and you have to cling tightly to that truth. He said, but even even though you're not supposed to let them despise you because of your youth, he said, you still have to remember in leadership, you have to set an example. And the very first thing he says is in your speech. So we're not going to get caught up speaking negatively about these older people. In your conduct, the way you interact with them, in the way you love them, in the way that you carry your faith, and in all purity. And then he goes on to say in chapter 5, not to rebuke that elder or that older person, but instead, why don't you focus on encouraging him? Why don't you, instead of just embarrassing him or making a spectacle of him, why not instead, why don't you encourage him and try to connect with him so that way you as a leader will strengthen your witness? And that's the title of my message this morning, if you're a note taker, Strengthen your witness, because I believe that we will see this continual thread all through 1 Timothy chapter 5 of us being encouraged and exhorted to strengthen our witness for the cause of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, the apostle Paul also wrote to a church in Corinth, and he said this, he said, but you are ambassadors for Christ. It's as if God himself were imploring people through you to be reconciled into right relationship with God. You and I are representatives of Christ. Christ. Not only are we representatives of word of grace, not only are we representatives of our individual families, not only are we representatives of this local body, but we are representatives of Jesus Christ in our everyday lives. And so we have to be aware of that, that we are to set an example and we all have a witness for Christ because the world that doesn't know Christ is watching. If we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, we call ourselves a Christian, the world is watching. And honestly, a lot of people who have been wounded and hurt by Christians in the church, they're watching to see if we fit in their stereotypes and they're waiting for us to fail. And they're looking at our lives. And they're wondering if we're truly following the Jesus we claim that we say we're following. And the Apostle Paul is wanting to instruct Timothy, hey, when you teach your church, Teach them to strengthen this witness instead of doing things that will steal away and detract from that witness because we are ambassadors. We are representatives of Jesus Christ here in the earth. I went on a motorcycle ride with my wife um, on Friday and Saturday, and we took a trip 
up to Spooner for our 16th uh, marriage anniversary. And we had a blast, had a lot of fun. I think I had more fun than she did. I mean, you might get a different version from her. I don't know. 10 hours on a motorcycle for me is great. Maybe she enjoyed it too. But uh, we had a great time and we went on this trip and we stopped at a gas station and I was wearing my Christian motorcycle vest that I have with my patch on the back and all kinds of different Christian patches and buttons and pins all over it. And I'm filling up at uh, the gas station. All of a sudden, I hear a guy yell out, Who do you think you are? Um, I'm sitting here filling up my, my tank, and I, I'm looking around trying to figure out, and here comes this big guy walking towards me. He said, Who do you think you are? I look at him and I said, excuse me? And he said, what do you, who do you think you are being a Christian riding a motorcycle? And then I turn around and I have a word of grace patch on my vest. And then I have one also that says pastor. And he said, and you're a pastor. Does your congregation know about this? <laughs> and, and, uh, and I looked at him and I started laughing. And I said, you must, I said, you must be a pastor too. And he said, oh yeah, I am. And... Uh, and so we got to talking, and it's very interesting how people want to put you in a certain box. Very interesting how people want to stereotype you, the things you can do, things you can't do. And I'm not saying that we have to do everything that people in the world want us to do, okay? So don't misunderstand my intent this morning. I don't believe that's what Paul was saying. But what I do believe that he was saying is that, listen, there's a certain respect and there is a certain weight that comes with being a representative of Jesus that you and I need to remember and recognize, amen? And we need to do everything we can within our own ability to make sure we're growing in godliness to strengthen through the process of sanctification to be able to strengthen our witness for Christ in our everyday lives because Christianity is more than Sunday morning. It's more than just coming into church, punching in, punching out. It's more than just coming here saying hey to a few people and then singing a few songs and going on about your daily business. No, we are representatives of Christ. We are representatives of Christ at the job, at the grocery store, at the restaurant, when you have slow service. You're still a representative of Christ. And we need to walk and live with that weight and understanding and keep that in front of us and keep that before us, that we are representatives of Christ. And we need to grow in doing whatever we can as representatives of Christ to strengthen our witness for Christ. So all of a sudden, people don't begin to point towards us, but they begin to see Jesus in us. And they begin to feel and experience and see and sense something different than what the world has to offer. That we handle things in a different way. And I believe that one of the things that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, need to strengthen our witness in is the way we resolve conflict. We as Christians need to strengthen our witness by the way we resolve conflict. And I think that's one of the things that Paul was trying to convey to Timothy. He was saying, listen, these guys... I know they're giving you a hard time because you're so young. I know that they're criticizing you. I know they may be trying to intimidate you and pressure you to do things a certain way, but you're still the leader, but you need to remember that there's still people who are trying to grow in their relationship with God too. So even though you may disagree with them, you need to make sure that you encourage them too. You can disagree with someone and encourage them and still love them and still respect them, amen? 
We live in a world right now where the tensions are very high and the temperature is very hot in, when it comes to different political stances, when it comes to different racial stances, when it comes to different socioeconomic stances, and all these different things that people are taking one extreme or the other on, and it's becoming very heated and it's becoming very intense. In my lifetime, a kid that was born in the early 80s, I see that it's more tense than I ever remember it being in my lifetime with just the way you feel the anger and the animosity and the disagreements that people have with each other and how loud they're being with them and how social media has given us an avenue to yell without having to actually face someone face to face and engage them and say all types of ugliness without having to meet someone face to face and it's given everyone this passive aggressive style of communication that I believe has really hurt us as a society. And I believe that these things have, have, have only exposed our need for Jesus. And as we look at this temperature in our society, man, we need to learn how to love people in whom we may disagree with, especially if we're followers of Jesus. Especially as followers of Jesus. Because we need to show people that love of God. We need to still speak and stand for the truth. Don't get me wrong. We're not going to compromise on our, on our morals. We're not going to compromise on our boundaries. But we can still love people without compromising who we are in Christ. Amen? We can still love people and still show them the love of God and show them common decency and respect. Don't you think that's going to go a lot further rather than just seeing who can yell the loudest? Who can write the ugliest thing on social media? What's going to go further with people? Just listening to someone and loving them, even though you can disagree with them? You see, we've got to figure out how to even do this in the church. Hello, somebody. Not to mention doing it with people outside of the context of Christianity. We've got to learn how to do this within our own groups and our own circles. Because guess what? There's somebody in here that doesn't like Chinese food. There's somebody in here that doesn't like the same TV shows I like. There's somebody in here that's not wearing a Packers jersey. There's somebody in here that's going to be cheering for a different team. But the thing is, is that how do we walk with someone in whom we may disagree with? How do we do that? Only the love of God can enable us to do that. I don't want us to just tolerate one another. I want us to love one another. Amen? And I think that's what God wants from us. He wants us to love people, not just tolerate those in whom we disagree with. How can I still listen? How can I still respect? How can I still encourage? That's what Paul was telling Timothy. Listen, instead of you just going and blasting these older people who are disagreeing with you, why, in, why don't you instead focus on setting an example? Why don't instead you set a guard over your mouth, set a guard over your heart? Look at how you love them. Look at how you conduct yourself around them. Don't rebuke that older person. Instead, why don't you focus on encouraging them? You'll get a lot further down the road in your witness with Christ than if you just blasted them. Amen, somebody? So here's the deal. We are going to disagree with one another, but how we treat one another matters not only to the individuals involved, but it also matters to the world that is watching because they're looking. They see that the fact that we may call ourselves Christians or that we may wear certain clothing that we identify as Christians. Does our behavior match our clothing choice? Does the way we conduct ourselves when things don't go our way 
at the restaurant, does that match the Christ, the Savior, the Lord that we worship and say we follow? We need to strengthen our witness. Let's keep on reading. Verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3, he goes on to talk about other ways to continue to strengthen our witness. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return for their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. He says, listen, even unbelievers understand they're supposed to take care of their family. They're supposed to take care of those closest to them. They even understand that, people that don't have God in their lives. And so we as followers of Christ need to learn how to care for people in our family, even those people in our family that may have not yet come to the saving knowledge of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We still need to learn how to love them, amen? Because the same Jesus that died for you died for them, right? And we still need to lift them up in prayer. We still need to care for them. But Paul here uh, kind of highlights and spotlights one group of people. He, he he's talking to Timothy about the widows and how to take care of the people who are in a situation where they can't take care of themselves. And he said, listen, not only should we take care of our natural family, but we should take care of those people who can't take care of themselves. Amen. So those who do not have a natural family to, get, to, to gather around them during time of crisis or need, the church should be that family for those people. But if you have a family, you should be that for your own family as well. One of the cool things that we've done for a number of years with some friends of ours is around Thanksgiving time, we have a thing we call Friendsgiving. That's the official name of it. We call it Friendsgiving. And it's a bunch of people who are all friends who celebrate Thanksgiving together, but their families that they would naturally celebrate holidays with are pretty far away or they're disconnected through a number of miles or whatever. And these different families, they all get together and they share a meal together. And guess what? There's no committee that needs to be formed in the church. There is no budget that needs to be established. There was no voting within everything to make everything happen within the church. No, it was just people who naturally cared about one another got together and decided to make something happen because they all loved each other and liked to hang out and wanted to continue to fellowship together. That's in the Bible. You know that? That's in the Bible because they care for one another. In Acts chapter 2, you can read when the church first was birthed that the Bible talks about how they met in one another's homes. They shared meals together. They sold things that they had. If someone else had a need, they said, oh, don't worry. I can make that happen for you. I can help you out with this or help you out with that. They were just there for each other because they cared. And you know what happens when people who call themselves Christians live in that kind of way? It sends a big message to the world about what life with Christ looks like. Sends a big message to the world that this is about connection. This is about where, you know what, everybody else may ignore you at work, but when you're with your, your church family, when you're with other believers, you belong. It sends a strong message to where no one may notice you, 
in the crowd at work. Or no one may give you any attention there where you feel loved or appreciated. But you know when you're around other believers, you know that you belong. And you know that you are cared for. Even if you don't have natural family around, the church comes alongside you and loves you as if you were a part of that biological family. That's what the church is supposed to be, amen? And that's what Paul is telling Timothy concerning the way that they handled the widows. Now, we say something here at Word of Grace. We say that discipleship happens best in the context of relationship because we see that in Matthew 28, Jesus said to go into all the world and to make what? Jesus said, go into all the world and make what? Disciples. He said to go into all the world and make disciples. What is a disciple? What does that mean? A disciple is simply a disciplined learner, a disciplined follower. It is a fully devoted follower of Jesus, someone who has set their life to follow after Jesus. And that is what a disciple is, someone who has made in their heart, in their mind, the decision to fully devote themselves to follow Jesus And for us to do that, we at Word of Grace believe that that happens best when you're around other people who are also on that same journey as a disciple of Jesus. Because the Bible also says that iron sharpens iron. So does one man's countenance sharpen another. So we need to sharpen one another. We need to encourage one another. The Word of God also says that we're supposed to spur one another on, encourage one another on to do good works. And so we need one another in a community, in a fellowship of believers, encouraging one another to stay on point, to stay on task, to be about the Father's business, to be growing in godliness, to be growing in the way that we're strengthening our witness corporately and individually, that we need people alongside us to walk with us through this journey, that it wasn't something that we were intended to do by ourselves. But instead, we're to do this in the context of Christian community, a family of faith, the church, and we are strengthened in our witness when we live this way because that's where care happens. That's where community happens. That's where this church family begins to care for those who can't care for themselves. Let's continue reading. Let's read 9 through 16. It says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. Stop right there. That's kind of weird. So here's the deal. I did a lot of study and a lot of research on this. Let someone who is 60 years of age be enrolled. That's the way that I uh, saw this in the Bible, and I began to compare and look. Enrolled in what? So we have to remember, all right? This is a great teachable moment here. We have to remember that this letter was written to a guy named Timothy, remember? And he was a pastor of the church in Ephesus. Sometimes we can directly take the Scripture and we can see that it directly applies to us based on what it just directly says. Sometimes we have to understand that this was written to a certain person in a certain time and there are certain implications that apply directly to them. In those instances, when you're reading and studying Scripture, you have to see what's the principle behind it. And that's what you have to lift out of those texts. When you're looking at Scripture, and it's not something that directly applies to us, because I don't know what to enroll the 60-year-old widows in. I just know they need to be enrolled. So, no, maybe, okay. So, they need to be enrolled in something, but he's talking about some sort of program that they had at that church, I'm sure, for widows. 
to be able to care for them. And he begins to give qualifications for what type of widow would need to be enrolled in such a care program. We don't know what the program was, but it was something that they had created there, and Paul knew about it, and Timothy knew about it, and so he was saying, hey, if you're going to enroll them in this certain care, I read something where certain scholars thought that it could have potentially even been giving those widows a job at the church to where they actually did some sort of administrative work in the church or perhaps even the caring for some of the orphans and things like that as the church had a big ministry to those who were without families and those who were orphaned, and perhaps that would be it. All that's speculation. We don't know. But all I know is that when we look at texts like this, we need to remember that we lift out the principle from the text because that doesn't directly apply to our situation. So when you read that, just remember that uh, as you're studying Scripture. So let's keep on reading after uh, verse 9. And having a reputation of good works, if she has brought up children, if she's shown hospitality, if she's washed the feet of the saints and cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll the younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and also incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. That's the important part. No occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So here, this, in this big portion of text, the principle that I lift out of this as I study this is that I see that Paul is wanting the church to strengthen their witness by living above accusation. He said, listen, there's some young widows in the church that are causing problems. They're idle, first of all, which means that they got nothing to do. And because they have nothing to do, they're going from house to house doing whatever their passions are driving them to do. They have no responsibility that they feel on their own. So therefore, Paul says, these people need to get married because they're causing problems by giving over to their passions of their flesh. They're going from house to house. And then not only that, he said, they're running their mouth and gossiping, and it's dragging the church down. He said, and it's giving Satan a foothold in the church, so they need to live in a way that would be above accusation. And so these are some things that I would suggest you would tell them to do in order to strengthen the witness of the church, to strengthen the witness of this local body of believers, because there is a world watching, and they're seeing a bunch of idle ladies that don't have anything to do other than go and sleep around and run down and talk about the church. And he said, they're causing issue and problem. And instead of that, he said, you know what? Those ladies need to get married because there's issues happening, because they're too idle, and they have nothing happening in their lives. So the principle to lift out of this is that they need to be uh, placed in a healthy situation to avoid the temptations that so many have fallen into. He said, a lot of them have already fallen into this temptation. He said, instead, we need to avoid the potential that they would have in that situation to hurt the cause of Christ and to hurt our witness, to hurt the light that we as Christ followers should have. Because as the world looks at the church and they look at people that are following Christ and they see all that going on and they're like, I don't want to be a part of that. 
And it's not making the gospel attractive because they're not doing things that are edifying the church and that are showing forth the goodness and glory of God. So we have to lift out of that text that we should strengthen our witness by living above reproach, by living above accusation, by putting ourselves in healthy situations to avoid temptation. There are temptations for all of us, and sometimes the situations that we are in are conducive to the temptations that, are, that, that our flesh is drawn towards. But we need to put ourselves in healthy situations where we are not in those types of positions. Because he said a lot of people have fallen into these temptations. I set up specific boundaries in my life as a pastor, and I have ever since I was 18 years old and I was a youth pastor. I've always had certain rules that are not negotiable. Not because I would do anything, not because I'm saying if I were in this situation something would happen, but in our world today, nothing even has to happen. Somebody just has to accuse you of something happening in our world today, and all of a sudden, there's a lot of damage that could come along with that. Wouldn't you agree? And we see that's the type of world that we live in, and, and it was the same back then as it is today. And so I have rules in my uh, ministry that I've always had, like I'll never counsel or meet with a member of the opposite sex alone. There always has to be someone else there, and I don't do that because I don't trust myself or the other person. I do that because I want to be above accusation. I want to make sure that I'm strengthening my witness. I want to make sure that even though there's not going to be anything happening between me and the other person, that I want to protect this church. I want to protect my family. I want to protect myself. I want to protect the, 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 the God that I say I serve and the Christ that I'm representing. Amen? And there may be things in your life that you have to set up as healthy boundaries to live above accusation, because that's what Paul was instructing Timothy to tell these young women. Listen, you've got to live above accusation. Now, let's focus in here on verse 16, where he said this, if there's any woman who has relatives who's a believer, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So here, this portion of Scripture is saying, listen, Christians, followers of Christ, should care for their families because it not only blesses the family, it sets a good example for the unbelieving world and it helps the church to focus more on caring for those who don't have natural families so the church can become their family. And it helps the church to focus on them and to be able to care and take care of them. And this is all about strengthening that witness and showing the world that, hey, when you're a part of a Christ-centered community, you're cared about. Amen, somebody? That's what it should be, not, not just by the pastors and the staff and the people in leadership, but you're cared for by the community of believers who love God. Because as we love God, we should love what God loves. And what does God love? He loves people, right? And if we love people, then it should cause us to serve. It should cause us to give. It should cause us to love. Love them with what? With the love of God, so they can love God, so they can love people, so they can serve so they can love, so they can give, so we can love God and love people and serve the world. And that's something that happens when our witness is strengthened, when we recognize we have a responsibility as representatives for Christ. We strengthen our witness by connecting and caring for one another in community. That's really one of the, 
the, the greatest testimonies, I think, to an unbelieving world is that every one of us has a story. Some of you were raised in church like me. Some of you, this could be your very first time to set foot in a church. Some of you were raised in family that was pretty wholesome and healthy, and some of you were raised in family that may have been very dysfunctional and very unhealthy. Some of you have probably been through a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, maybe even a lot of abuse. Whatever the case may be, whatever our stories, we're all here together, and not one of us is better than the other. Not one of us is more important than the other. We all matter in the eyes of God, amen? Just because I'm standing on a stage doesn't make me better than anybody else in this room. I have a different role, I have a different responsibility, but it doesn't make me better. None of us are more important in the eyes of God because we all cost the same. We cost the very blood of Christ that was shed for you and for me. And because the same price was paid for us all, we're all worth the same in the eyes of God. Isn't that awesome? So that means whatever you've been through, that means whatever your past, whatever your story, we're all worth the same in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter what baggage you walked in here with. But that's the beauty of Christian community. And we strengthen our witness through connecting and caring for one another in community. Because as we're in this Christian community, this thing that we call church, man, it shows the world that regardless of where you've been, that you belong, that you're cared for, that you're loved, that you're accepted, that we're not just building up little pockets of, of, of people in this area who, who have their lives all together and who's all perfect because I don't know who that group is and I don't think any of us belong in that group. Isn't that a good thing though? Because, I mean, my marriage isn't perfect. I don't manage my finances perfect. I try to do what's honoring by God and I try to grow and succeed in those areas, but I haven't always done those things perfect, nor will I always continue to do everything perfect. Sometimes I'll make dumb decisions. My wife might have thought a 10-hour motorcycle ride and, you know, 85-degree weather yesterday was not a smart decision. I thought it was a great decision, by the way. But we're not going to all make the greatest decisions. My wife and I will still get in arguments. We're not above that just because we're uh, a pa because I'm a pastor of a church. No, there's still things we're growing in, still things that God is still working in our own hearts. It's not about us being perfect. It's about all of us growing in godliness and Christ-likeness. Even though we slip up, even though we fall, even though we make mistakes, that we all run to the same source, and that's Jesus Christ, amen? To find healing, to find forgiveness, to find reconciliation, to find peace, to find strength, to find comfort, to find direction. We all run to Jesus. And we strengthen our witness by connecting and caring for one another in community. You know, we've been talking about community groups a lot. We've been talking about getting connected, and that's really all that I can do as a pastor of a church is provide opportunity. I can't force anyone to do anything, and I'm not going to try to manipulate or guilt you into doing that. I've been a part of that. It's no fun. Instead, I would rather see you respond to God because He's moving on your heart and that you would grow in maturity to when God's moving on your heart and speaking something to you, that you'd respond, that you'd step up instead of you have to be guilted or shamed into doing something or manipulated. So when it comes to community groups, all community groups are here at church is an opportunity. That's all they are. 
and I'm not going to force you into the opportunity. It's an opportunity to get connected at a deeper level because, remember, discipleship happens best in the context of relationship. That means that I'm going to open up my heart to people that I trust because if I don't trust you, we're not going to go very far in our conversation or in life together. But if I trust you, I'll be willing to open up my chest and share with you things that I struggle with that no one else may know about or thoughts that I may have that no one else may know about and that we can share those things with one another for the purpose of growing, for the purpose of growing in godliness. I mean, man, oftentimes people seek help and, and, and seek uh, advice once they've allowed their heart to go really far in some sort of sin. What if you had people that you could trust when you first started having those inklings and those drawings and those temptations? What if you had someone that you could trust at that level that you could go and talk to and say, hey, I'm being tempted with this. I haven't acted on it, but man, I, I sure have been tempted in this area or that area lately. Someone that wouldn't ostracize you or wouldn't put you out simply because you shared something that you were tempted or drawn to. You've you got to have a lot of trust to have a conversation with somebody like that, don't you? You've got to have a lot of trust. Well, where are you going to get that trust from? Where's that trust going to come from? It's going to come through building relationship. It's the same way it works with God. The more relationship you have with God, when something comes your way that's an overwhelming storm, what happens? You can trust Him if you have relationship with Him. If you don't have relationship with God, it may just all be a bunch of head knowledge. It may not be something you really trust God in. But trust comes through relationship. And that's what community groups do. They provide opportunity for our community as a local body, as a local church, to connect in deeper relationship, to form those relationships so we can do exactly what Paul's instructing Timothy to do, to care for one another, to set an example, to strengthen our witness so that God can be glorified through the way that we live our lives through the way that we operate as a Christian community of believers, both on Sunday and every other day of the week. Amen, somebody. So here's the deal. Perhaps God is calling you to be a part of one of those, or maybe you start one. Maybe you don't. I can't start one. I don't know how to teach, blah, blah, blah. I get it. We have training for that. If you don't want to be a leader, that's fine too. You can just open up your house if you want to. Whatever it is, it just takes people being willing to see this as a priority to help other people get connected to help deepen exactly what Paul is trying to teach Timothy to do. All right, let's go on and read the rest of the fifth chapter of the book of 1 Timothy. Verse 17 is where we're going to pick this back up. He says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging and do nothing with partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sin of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So here we see as Paul is wrapping up these thoughts in what we call the fifth chapter, that he's really wanting to drive home that we need to strengthen our witness through being people of integrity, 
He first talks about taking care of those who are teaching the Word of God. He said we need to make sure that they should be honored, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. But that doesn't mean you worship the pastor, and it doesn't mean you worship the church leaders. Amen? Amen. I grew up in the other extreme of this, where it was like this creepy, crazy thing where these guys were like floating on air, okay? I mean, they couldn't even take baths because they would walk on water when they would try to step foot in the bathtub. It was just, wow, these guys were just somewhere that all the little lowly church people could never get to. And I mean, you, they had to have everything a certain way. They wanted the temperature a certain way. They wanted everything carried for them a certain way. I even saw one preacher on TV that had a throne built that they carried him on a throne and paraded him around on the stage. And this was a church of about 10,000 people, and they all stood up and just erupted with, with clapping, and they just loved it. Are you kidding me? Let me help you out. <laughs> Pastors are people. Oh, let me say that slow so I can say that some more because somebody needs to help me this morning. Pastors are people. Pastors are people. They're followers of Jesus. They have a different responsibility than the laity of the church and the church membership because God has given them that responsibility. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that they're better. It doesn't say that they're more important because they're not. They're people. I am a follower of Christ first. I am a husband to my wife second. I am a father to my children third. And fourth, I'm the pastor of Word of Grace. I am not more important. And, and now listen, now there's, there's, another, there's another side to that too where we see explicitly in Scripture where there does need to be a respect issue there, okay? So there does need to be respect of people that are in those positions and there's certain honor there for being in that position, but it doesn't mean more important. That's what we see in Scripture, right? That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said it's plain as day, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I grew up in a gross abuse with some crazy stuff, okay? And so did Pastor Stephen, one of our other staff pastors here. He, uh, he told me a crazy story about the pastor of the church that he was in uh, actually required that uh, some of the interns there at the church washed his car with bottled water. Yeah, yeah, no joke. And that also he handed uh, a group of them a golf ball and he had a uh, gravel driveway and wanted them to walk through the gravel driveway. And anything larger than the golf ball, they had to take those rocks and put them in a wagon and carry them off because it was too uncomfortable of a drive for him uh, when he would go home. And you had to honor the man of God. Don't ever build me a throne, okay? If you want to come help me with my driveway, fine. But, <laughs> but pastors are people first. And we need to, yes, give respect and honor, but I think the principle there is really to respect and, and honor uh, people. We need to respect one another. We need to give honor where honors do. Someone goes above and beyond, hey, let's, let's recognize that. Let's appreciate that. Let's let them know if, whether they go above and beyond or whether they're consistent in a certain area. Let's, let's honor that and let's thank God for that. But let's not worship it. Let's not get our eyes off of worshiping God. Amen? Uh, listen, uh, I, I need Jesus, and I have to repent of my sins just like everybody else. And guess who else does? The Pope does too. N nobody's perfect, right? I don't, I don't care what is said. No, nobody's perfect. But at the same time, we still need to remind ourselves that in leadership, 
we have a role to set the tone, to set an example, to make sure that we're living an example uh, that is following Jesus. Amen? That's why he also says, if there's sin there, call it out. He said, don't sweep it under the rug. He said, I don't care who it is. He said, because show no partiality. Don't show favoritism just because you don't want your person in leadership to, to not uh, have to be reprimanded or chastised or led to repentance. No, deal with it. Call it out. Don't sweep it under the rug because we have to be people of integrity. Amen? He said, listen, we strengthen our witness through being people of integrity, especially if you're in position of authority or leadership. He said, you're not exempt from that just because you're in a position of leadership or authority, but we strengthen our witness through being people of integrity. We deal with sin and leadership. We don't sweep it under the rug because the world is watching. We're representing Christ. We deal with sin. We don't pretend that it's not there. And then here we see in Scripture, he said, if the person is unwilling to repent, he said, then you take it to a different level. They are going to just continue in it. We're not going to allow that in leadership because it's going to hurt the name of Christ. It's going to hurt the church. It's going to hurt a lot of people. We can't let this junk continue. If there's sin there and it's not repentant and, and there's still abuse there, just because a person's in a position of authority, man, they got to go. You Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I'm talking about pastors. <laughs> you can amen that. It's in the Bible. If I'm sinning and I won't repent of it and it's brought to my attention, get rid of me, okay? Please. It'll be better for the body of Christ and for you and for me. That's what Scripture says. I'm just preaching the Bible. Hope that's all right with everybody. Here's the thing. We continue in integrity also because he said, listen, don't lay hands on anyone too quickly. And what he means there is they would, they would install people into positions of spiritual leadership by laying their hands on them and by praying over them. He's saying don't put someone in leadership too quickly just because you're impressed with their gifts or just because you're impressed with their enthusiasm or their charisma. Don't put someone in a position too quickly. So you make sure you cover that in prayer. Listen, those of you who are in management positions or who own your own businesses or who get to hire people and put people in leadership positions, or maybe even you're a team WOG leader here at church and you get to make decisions about putting people on your team, don't lay hands on anyone too quickly. In other words, don't just be impressed because someone may appear very gifted. Because here's the value. Character is more important than talent. Well, let me say that again so you can write it down. Character is more important than talent. Character wins over talent every day. All the time, every time. Always go after someone who's a person of character. They may be really impressive with their talent. Man, I learned that one the hard way. I had a guy that I thought, man, he was so talented, and I was so excited to be able to bring someone to be a part of my team at one point in my ministry, and I was so excited to have this extremely talented individual, but there was no character there, and it hurt me, it hurt my team, it hurt the church, it was very painful because there wasn't the character there, and my eyes got on the talent, and I didn't spend the investigatory time needed to make sure that the character was there. I got bit by that one. Make sure you always put character above talent. They may have a great resume, but what's their character like? What's their character like? I know when I was at my church in Arkansas where I was pastor, I had a gal on the worship team that was an amazing, amazing worshiper of the Lord. 
she would lift her hands and she would just praise God with everything within her body. I mean, everything. She, she, just, she was about to explode worshiping and loving on Jesus. But she couldn't sing her way out of anything to save her life. I needed people on the worship team, and I wanted to encourage the church to be able to worship the Lord in freedom. And I wanted her on the worship team. But no matter how much I tried, I couldn't help that inability to sing. So I put her on the stage and turned her microphone off. And she was okay with that. And I told her, I said, you don't really have the talent to sing, but man, I love your heart for the Lord. Would you be willing to just sing and worship God and we turn off your mic? Because really, honestly, I love you, but it just doesn't sound that good. She said, she looked at me and said, I'm perfectly fine with that. I can roll with somebody like that. Can't, I can roll with somebody like that. That's somebody who has character. They didn't have necessarily all the talent in the world. Now I understand there needs to be a balance. We do need to have character, I mean, in, uh, we need to have talent as well uh, in certain roles and certain responsibilities. But in that instance, she had the right heart. She had the right character. And she didn't get her feelings hurt over the fact that I was willing to give her an opportunity. And, and even though it was a different opportunity perhaps than some of the other people. She loved it, and it helped our church. And so here's the deal, folks. Always prioritize character over talent. Amen, somebody. Here's the deal. The other thing that Paul says as he wrapped up this section is he said, there's some conspicuous evil things that are done. He said, and they get brought to the light. He said, in the same way that works, he said, also good works go the same way. When you do those conspicuous things, don't, don't go around announcing all the good things that you do, but be people of integrity, not trying to get, atten excuse me, not trying to get attention because you go out and you do something good and all of a sudden you want recognition and attention. He said, instead, do it inconspicuously. Just, 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 just don't, don't let... Don't go around and parade it and wear it. He said, because the same way it works with the wickedness done in secret, it comes to the light. So at some point when it really matters, the things done in secret will be brought to the light. And guess what? God always sees. Amen? God always knows. It's about being a person of integrity. It's about your intent. It's about why you do what you do. He said, so don't go around parading those things. You'll strengthen your witness if you become a person of integrity that just does things that are good and right and God-honoring because they're good, right, and God-honoring. Amen? Not because you get a pat on the back or a trophy or award or a ribbon or your name in the bulletin or whatever. You do it because you're doing it as unto the Lord. Amen? And that's how we strengthen our witness. We strengthen our witness through the way we resolve conflict, through the way we treat one another, through living above accusation. We strengthen our witness through the way we care for one another in community. We strengthen our witness through just being people of integrity. I believe God wants us to strengthen our witness. So here's what I want us to do. Let's spend the, our time this week being aware and reflect on ways we can strengthen our witness for Christ. Maybe the Holy Spirit used this message to give you some ideas or some things you need to put into practice. Maybe there's some things even now that are on your heart and mind that you know you need to put into place. I would encourage you to do those things. Make the commitment today before you leave to do those things to strengthen your witness so we as a church will strengthen our witness because we as individuals strengthening our witness collectively as a body will have a strong witness and it'll all be for the glory of God and people won't see us. They won't see Derek. They won't see John. They won't see anyone else here, but they'll see Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.